get what you're looking for, life and something to give you life. You know, we live when we live by faith, when we walk by faith, okay? You could also say to just live by faith. means if you're truly justified, then you should be living a life of walking out and living out your faith in Jesus. Now, faith is not just some kind of practice that you go through. I have a faith. And some people believe this. You know, I have a faith. What is your faith? My faith is, and they'll give you whatever religion they're involved in. And my faith is I go to church on Sunday. I have a belief in God. I have a mental ascension and a knowledge of the Scripture. That's my faith. Then I would challenge that and go, if that's really faith, then why does it say, when Paul's writing the letter to Romans, chapter 1, he said, I thank God that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. And you think about this. The whole world, the lost world, wasn't talking about the Romans church services. Wasn't talking about their pastor or his message. They weren't talking about the style of worship. They weren't talking about a service that they went to on Sunday, a church building, or anything to do that. So that tells me faith goes way beyond this. Faith is the life that I choose to live because what influences me, what causes me to have faith, because you are what you believe. Understand, you live out your life. Your life is simply a drama, uh, or, 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 yeah, we'll just use that, because it is drama, amen? Our life is a dramatization of what we have going on inside, unless you're putting on a fake, and you know that if you're faking it, right? So, so if you're sitting here this morning, look at your life, do you live out the faith? So on those two paths, think about this, two very different endings, and you say, well, I thought if I saved, I was going to heaven. If you're a truly born again believer, when you, you have eternal life because of what Jesus has done, not because of what you do or will do, but because of what Christ has done for you, showed you grace and mercy, and you put your faith in Christ, okay, that you will be in heaven when you die. However, like I said, that don't make life just where you can go, all right, that means I can live however I want to and chase after the world because the decisions and the choices that we make are going to have consequences one way or the other. We're going to experience blessing or cursing. And make no mistake, you mark the person that just dabbles. Well, you know, you don't have to be at church all the time. You don't have to do this. I hear that all the time. I'm ready to hear somebody go, I want to be at church. You know, I want to hear God's Word. I want to be around God's people. I want to fellowship. I want to come and I want to involve myself. And I want to give what Christ has given me. I want to show love. I want to give encouragement. I can't wait. I'm excited to get away from the filthy, godless environment that I'm around every day and to be around a group of people who share the same common interest and that interest is Jesus. And I can be myself. And I love being involved with and around this group of people. It's not just about I want to go hear a message. You can hear a message on television at home. That's not what church is about. And so many people are, we don't have to be there. You don't need to be there. And we're this and that. But you mark those people. Those people, if they are believers who just dabble a little bit here and dabble a little bit there, my friend, you will, you will experience the consequences of your half-hearted choice and you will have so much misery and division and destruction in your life. You'll even question and go, I don't even know if this Christianity is real. The question is not, is Christ real? The question is, are you being real with Him? Are you true to God's Word? Because when we live by God's Word, God is true, God is faithful, and God never Okay, y'all with me this morning? Now we can get to Psalm 37. Psalm 37 gives us a very detailed instruction on how to live a life by faith and the promises to go with that life. I'm not going to cover it all this morning, but I want to cover just a little bit and I'll get you out of here, okay? Now, it starts off with two do nots or you cannot. And one of the things you want to write something down, you cannot... 
live your life revolving around the attitudes or actions of evildoers. Notice what it says in verse 1. It says, do not fret because of evildoers. Do not be envious of the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Now, speaking of evildoers, talking about anybody who's involved in any kind of ungodliness, unrighteous, wickedness, you know, the lost world. But again, a believer can be involved in some wickedness. You understand what I'm saying? There's a lot of wicked things that go on in the church. When the church says, we don't want new people coming into it, that's wicked. When the church says, we don't want lost people, we don't want sinners coming out of church, that's, that's just pure wickedness. When, when you isolate a group of people or you say you have to dress a certain way, look a certain way, put on a certain image, otherwise you're not involved in our church, that's just as wicked as any wickedness there is. So there's a lot of wickedness that goes on in, in religion. I don't even like to call that church stuff, okay? And so when you look at that, but here's the thing. The world's always wicked. It's always going to have evildoers. And here's where we get off sometimes as believers. Sometimes we focus on that. Sometimes preachers get up and they preach messages. I don't know why they preach it, but they preach it to the world. And they hammer, they've got their certain things they hammer, you know, whether it's the, you know, the homosexual agenda or whether it's politics or whether it's, you know, you pick your sin. Sometimes that's all we harp on. And we look on the internet and we, we talk about it and we get together and we gripe about it and we complain about it and we talk about all the, all the horrendous things going on in the world. These days we're going to get this fixed. But we talk about all the, all the things going on. We, and the next thing you know, we're complaining, and we're fussing and fighting, and we're arguing, and we're debating over all these different things, and we become bitter and condemning and cynical if we're not careful, especially people in ministry. And we focus on the, the, the people who aren't instead of the people who are. You know, and here's the thing. I'm not saying that you shouldn't stand. The Bible says we should stand in righteousness, but it says that we should speak the truth in love. If we get so upset and so angry that we're coming to a point that we're ready to, you know, fight with somebody or we're always condemning, you gotta be careful. You don't get self-righteous. And then we're pointing fingers and we're complaining and we're, we're talking about all the bad going on. We wonder why when our kids sit there and listen to that, why they don't want anything to do with this. And, and, but here's the thing. Jesus was surrounded by wickedness. The Bible said he was full of grace and truth. He was full of grace and truth. He spoke the truth. He didn't compromise. He didn't ignore it. He engaged it, but he was a lot. Okay? The second thing it says is, do not be envious of them. How in the world could you be envious of uh, evildoers? Man, believers can get envious of evildoers all the time. We look at what they have and we desire that. We might not voice it, but we look at what they have and we look what... And here's the thing I want to point out. We look at what's above the surface. We, we see the pictures of the billboards and everybody's laughing and having a great time. And we watch movies on that Hollywood projects. They want to project that a sinful, godless lifestyle is just so awesome. And, and you can have everything, you can do everything, and, and they show these, I, I, I'm still looking for the families, where you show these people who have nothing to do with the Lord, and, and they don't have any, you know, they mock God, all that, but they're just this wonderful, lovely, and everybody gets along in the family. I haven't found that yet in 20 years of dealing with families. Hadn't seen that other than on TV. But they project it, and here's the thing, sometimes we buy it. And then you got this pitiful Christian attitude that exalts suffering, you know, I, you know, I just, I'm always suffering for the Lord. You know, and I'm always having trials and troubles. And I'm just glad the Lord's here for all my trials and troubles. 
And sometimes that's the message that, that people around us get. And, and then you got those who, I wish I could tell you a story that I heard this morning. It's, I can't because it's somebody personal that most everybody here knows. But you got the must be nice attitude of Christians. When you look at other people, you know, sometimes Christians, you look, you look at worldly people and go, well, it must be nice. You know, if I didn't do this, or if I wouldn't, you know, if it wasn't so, if they weren't so sinful, or if, or if, you know, blah blah blah. And we paint this picture of Christianity as this poor, impoverished, just I suffer. I'm carrying my cross every day, and we want everybody to know. It's kind of like the Bible and the Pharisees in the Bible, the religious people. How when they would fast, they would put on this sad face, and they wouldn't, they wouldn't wash, so everybody would look and go, oh look. They're fasting, man. They're so holy and so so righteous and religious. And, and sometimes we as believers do it. We want to we want to magnify all the troubles, all the trials, all, and we want the pity. And we get the it must be nice attitude. I'll tell you this story. I ain't give you no names. This is not the story I was going to tell you. But back when I was at the first church, I was at. <coughs> let me say this for your visitor here. I work all the time. I work a job just like you work. I do construction. I work forty, sometimes more hours a week. Okay. So, so I'm not not one who sits in an office and drinks coffee and nothing. You know what I'm saying, okay? So don't sit up and go, yeah, you just don't know. Oh, yeah, buddy, I do know. If you want to latch hold of my plow and go with me this week, I'll, I'll teach you a thing or two, most of And so I work for a living, hard work. So, so here's where I'm at. <coughs> Whatever I got, Lord's blessing with it, I work for it. Ain't nobody giving me nothing. Yeah, I don't sit around beg the church handouts and that kind of stuff. So don't get that mentality of this pastor. So anyhow, back when I was first started pastoring, I went to work. I actually gave a guy in the church a job. He was working with me, working hard, this and that. And all the time he would put out these snide remarks. Because, you know, maybe I would, you know, have a boat. I've got a, a simple boat. Or, or maybe, you know, go somewhere. Me and my wife, gonna, you know, we're going to take a vacation or blah, blah, blah. And it was always that, man, it must be nice. Man, it must be nice. And I finally got, you know, about to hear with it. And I said, you know what? Ain't nobody ever give me anything. I've worked, I've worked my whole life, the Lord blesses me, and all I can tell you is maybe you need to do something different. And quit being the pitiful believer who, who acts like that you're giving up everything for Jesus. And there's even people in ministry who do that. They play off of the pity of the church. Oh, oh poor pastor, they're so poor. Maybe poor pastor, maybe he needs to get a job. You know, get out there and get you some and then you can relate to your people. Now, I'm not saying that it's wrong for a pastor to be full-time. I am saying it is wrong to be a begging preacher. And it's wrong to be a begging Christian. You know, it actually says in this this chapter here, I've been young and now I'm old. I've yet to see the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. Okay, so think about this. When you combine those two, maybe you're one of those people you're always focused on the world and you're always griping about it or you're always envying it or you want to be like it or you're identifying with it or you live a life that chases after the things that the world can give you, you know, that's that's God's sheep eating from brown pasture. And when you combine those two and you raise your kids to see that or you see people at work are looking for, why in the world should I want to follow Jesus? When, when all I see is you griping and complaining and, and living like everybody else and we wonder why... Young people are departing from the faith. We wonder why people are half-hearted and falling away. And we wonder why that, that the mention of a call to ministry or serving the Lord is like offering somebody the bubonic plague. You know, I ask young men, have you ever prayed about God calling you to preach? Have you ever told the Lord you'd be willing to serve in ministry? No! It's like you're going, hey, this is a Bible full of AIDS, you know? And they start jumping around and dancing backwards. You know, when I look at the Bible, it's an honor. 
It's an honor to serve the Lord. Instead of like, oh, no, that's not for me, that's for somebody else. I don't want anything to do with that. <laughs> I think we've, we have projected a wrong image of Christianity and what it means to be in the faith because, you know, one of the things that I want to tell you, and I'm going to run just a little bit over, probably about 45 minutes now. <laughs> one of the things I, I want to tell you for you young people here, maybe you're watching people who are not living out what is a biblical faith. Maybe that you're watching people who are discouraged and you don't know. And I'm not saying everybody's being a hypocrite. But maybe you ought to get in the Bible yourself and go, what does it really mean to walk in faith? And what has God promised for those who walk in faith? And what are the, what are the, the, the uh, examples that God gives in the Bible of people whose lives walked after and followed after Jesus? And what did they have? Because here's the thing. What the world projects to you. And you're a young person and you're considering what direction you're going to go with in life. The world is hounding you. Go after all the money you can make. Get all the stuff that you can have. Get all the accomplishments you can get. Be the most powerful and popular person that you can be. And make sure you're going to heaven when you die. Okay? But here's the thing. According to God's word and the truth of it, and probably every older person here, because the Bible says wisdom cries at the gates. That's where the old folks sat. I think if a born again believer, if you're here and you're older, you're past 30. Yeah, man. You're in your prime. You would probably agree with this because it says this. Notice what it says. Let me find my place. I haven't lost my page. It says, Do not fret because of evildoers. Do not be envious of the works of iniquity, for they soon shall be cut down like the grass as and wither as the green herb. You know why grass withers? There's nothing under the surface. Shallow roots. If you're here today and you go, I'm going to chase after the world. I'm going to be like the world. I'm going to walk in the ways of the world. Here's what I've experienced. The older I get, the less hope I would have. Because I can't do what I used to do. And I can't accomplish what I used to accomplish. And I can't do those So if I was a lost person, I would be grasping for anything to hold up. Because the older that I get and the farther that I get from my birth, the nearer I get to my eternity. And as a lost person, if I was lost looking into eternity with my hope in the world, I'd be like, this ain't all what it's cut up to be. Because it won't be long. I'm going to be cut down. I'm going to be in the ground. And I'm going to wither away. Along with everything that I've worked for. Along with everything that I thought was life. That leaves me very, very empty. And it doesn't have to end at death. There's a lot of marriages that wither away. There's a lot of families that are cut down. Because people buy into the way of the world and they think that religion is the answer and that religion is not the stinking answer. Jesus said that He is life, that knowing Him and the Father is eternal life, and it's about knowing and trusting and having a personal relationship with the Lord, believing God's Word and living by it and walking in it. That's what faith is. Faith is, I believe God, I believe God's Word, and that's the good news. That's the good news that Paul came. Your faith should not be, well, I'll tell you, like a lot of people's testimony. Your faith should not be, well, when you're young, man, partied up, lived a great life, have all the fun you can have. And then somewhere along the way, hopefully you'll meet Jesus and you can start going to church. And and then what we project? A lot of us have projected that. I listen to people's testimony. Yeah, back when I was in the 20s, man, I did all this. And I lived like, you know, Bob Brown, you wouldn't believe the things. I'm going to say, just keep it because I don't know the things you did or the things that I've done. We just live like this and da da da. You know, then thank the Lord somewhere along the way I got saved. And what have you done ever since? Well, I just got to go quit everything and stop living and I go to church on Sundays. And your kids look at that and go, 
That don't sound very exciting. That doesn't sound exciting to me. Sounds to me like I need to go out and sow up wild oats and get away with all I can get away with and just, you know, do my Sunday thing. And the church is full of people like that. Good news is exalting the life giver. So let me say this. Whether you believe what I got to say this morning, whether you live what I got to say this morning, I've come to a place to go, I love it. I love the Lord. Love God. Love the life He's given me. Sometimes I get caught up like this right here because this message to me. Sometimes I focus so much on what people aren't doing. Focus on why is the church not doing this? Why are people not involved? Why does the world seem like it's taking over? Why is wickedness prospering? And all these things. And the whole time, you know, I'm just headed down, getting disgusted, and I get fretful and angry. That's what that word means, just to be angry about it. And they say, I look up and I'm just like that. And people around me are like, why would I want to be like you? You wouldn't want to be when I'm like that. But let me tell you something. In my life, what God has given me, when I can focus on that and just sever all that stuff, I look at my life, I look at the impact that Jesus made, I look at what God's done for me, what He's given me, and the hope that I have, and I go, who would not want that? Who would not want that? Because it's amazing. And so let me give you this, and we'll get you out of here. Look what it says. This is a walk of faith, okay? I'll give you the other side. Verse 3 says, Trust in the Lord and do good. It begins with that. It doesn't say, trust in your religion. Trust in your good works. Trust in your pastor. Trust in your mom and dad. It doesn't say that. The, the, the pathway of, that leads to life, that is life, is trusting in Jesus, having a personal relationship, coming to the place to recognize the good news is we're sinners and God loves sinners. And God reached out to us. You don't reach out to God. You don't do something to appease God. The Bible said God called out to you. God sent His Son. God is the one who offered up His Son for your sins. Why? Because He wanted to. He wanted to provide everything necessary for you simply to receive or respond to an invitation. That's all salvation is. It's God's calling. That word calling means invitation. God invites. You decide. And you come to a place to go, do I want to trust the Lord? Do I want to be forgiven? Do I want to have life? Do I want to have a relationship with my Lord, my Creator, or I don't? But when you do, it's simply to trust in the Lord as your Savior. And then it says, and do good. What is doing good? Well, evidence of the fact that you've trusted in God, number one, okay, that you do good. The doing good is a response. It's not an appeal. Please do not die and stand before the Lord and have your list of good deeds. It's going to do you no good. When you compare it to, you know, I've done this and I've done that and I gave money and I, I did good, blah, blah, blah. I'll put this list here. Okay, this is, this is one way. Jesus, God in the flesh, humbled Himself, became a man, died a wretched death on the cross, was buried with your sin in the grave, and offers you grace. This is nothing. This is everything. Trust in it. Why, why, why try to work your way to heaven when God said, I've already, I've already finished it. I finished the work. I want you to, I want, I, I prepared the party. You just received the invitation. And so, as a believer, you trust the Lord and you do good. Now notice what it says here. Because I'm going to have to skip a little bit instead of going into so much detail. But it says, dwell in the land and feed on His faithfulness. Now the word dwell, I studied these different words in the original language. The word dwell means settle down. There's a lot of people who need to come to a place where you go, I'm going to just, I'm going to settle down. I'm going to trust in the Lord. I'm going to continue to do what God's word says. I'm going to, I'm going to trust in Him even when it doesn't make sense. 
Because I know that God's good. That's what faith is. I believe Jesus. I believe what He says of me. I believe He loves me. I know that I'm forgiven. I know that He's paid for everything. I have eternal life. And I'm going to trust Him. And I'm going to do good. And I'm just going to settle down. And I'm going to dwell here with the Lord. And you know what I'm doing? Not on your faithfulness. But I'm going to feed off of His faithfulness. This is a picture. Like it says in Psalm 23. It says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want or I shall not lack. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. Sheep love green pastures. God's life that He has for me is an abundant. It's not an old dead brown grass. It's a pasture where He provides for me. This speaks of safety and security. It means that He's watching over me. I don't have to try to fight and, and warn and, and do everything to attain and try to look for life. And, and when I get all those things, look up and go, now, well, now do I have it? Am I happy? Am I content? Am I satisfied? Can I hold on to all this? That's what the world does. I gotta, I gotta scratch and fight and work and, and cheat and, and climb the ladder and stomp on other people and destroy people's lives and famous all so that I can get to this point. When I get here, then I've gotta work the rest of my life to try to hold on to it. It's being your own God, whereas the believer goes, I'm just gonna trust in the Lord. I'm just gonna trust in the Lord. Are y'all awake? Amen. Stay with me. I'll be done in an hour or so. So here's where I'm at. I, I just got to get this. And again, this is not, not. I just want to testify of trust in the Lord. You know, because a lot of people say, you know, this is what you have to do. I'm not knocking college educations. I'm not saying that's not a good route or anything. But the world tells you there's a certain way of success. You know, they've lined it out. They've, they've, they've got it down to a T to where you have to do this. Start your kids off when they're two teaching them algebra. You know, if they're going to be ahead of everybody else and, and different languages and all this education, 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 sports, 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 academics, academics, college, college. And, and we do all of that and we sacrifice everything we have so that our kid can have that. Then they hopefully will be successful. Me, on the other hand, say, if God wants my kids to go to college, great. If he doesn't, I trust in the Lord. Boy, there was a lot of amens on that one. Good. Let me burn this up, okay? Because here's where I'm at. I've worked by myself, for myself. But, you know, I've worked with my dad up until I was about 19, and I went in my own business for myself. And you know what? I have not missed one meal. I have not missed one bill. And here's the God's honest truth. I have not missed one day of work because I had to. Not one. In 25 years of working for myself. When everybody else, this is not a testimony to me. Please don't take it that way. Pridefulness or anything else because God gives you one. But I just want to tell Testify, I do not depend upon man whatsoever. I don't look to man. There's other men in this building that can testify to the same exact thing. But there's a time period back a few years ago when the economy crashed. Some of you remember it. And work shut down. And oil field shut down. And oil field shuts down. Houses shut down. And people were sitting that were in my business doing nothing. And complaining and gripping. And me and my boys never missed a day. And that's because the Lord is my provider. And I trust him. Lord, it's good to lay down. And I go, Lord, I, usually I'm like, Lord, I don't know what I'm going to do to keep up with all this, but I trust you. You can trust the Lord. You can trust the Lord. You don't got to go by the ways of man. I, I'm all about work. I'm not saying don't sit at the house, you know, on your lazy backside and say, I'm just trusting the Lord. Get up and go to work. The Bible says he does not work all night. Eat. But God has a way. And he is faithful. And you know what I do? I enjoy feeding on God's faithfulness. We need some air conditioning up in here. Let's finish this up. Verse 4, notice what it says here. 
Delight yourself also in the Lord. And get this, He will give you the desires of your heart. That's one of my favorite verses in Scripture. Doesn't say delight yourself in what you're doing. Delight yourself in, in, in your accomplishments. Delight yourself in the cares of the world and the things of the world. Delight yourself in money. Delight yourself in, in acquirements. You know, an accomplishment says, find your delight in the Lord. It means rejoice in the Lord. Have pleasure in the Lord. Be happy with the Lord. Because everything else that you focus on is temporary. It's always changing. James chapter 4 is talking to believers and he said, Why is there fighting among you and wars among you? Why do you murder and why do you covet and, and you do all of these things? I'm just, I'm not quoting, but you're doing all these things trying to attain because you want to have and you want to, you want to get all of these things. And he said, you have not because you ask not. So wait a second, so you're telling me that I spend my whole life stressing and worrying and fighting and underhanding and being deceitful and sometimes lying and, and I fall asleep at night and I have to take things to make me sleep and, and all these different things and, and sometimes I have to do other things you know that are ungodly to try to deal with all this stuff going on in my head and, and the drama of life so that I can try to get like you know that person over there who's got it and, and keep up with the Jones over here and, and have, maybe I'll be happy like there's you know it looks like they are and you're telling me that God says all I have to do is ask. He says, delight yourself in the Lord. If you'll look it up in the original language, He will give you the desires of your heart. The actual with me. It says, He will answer your prayers. You know what your prayer life is? Your prayer life is evidence of whether or not you really believe God is willing to do what you ask. Some people got this hang up. Well, you know, I pray for sick people. <laughs> you know, I'm a preacher. I pray for you. But I don't ask for anything. So what you're really saying, you might not realize what you're really saying is, I don't need God. I don't need God. I don't believe God is good. I don't need anything from God. I will, I will pridefully work and attain everything without asking for anything. The Lord said, you're going to have a war for your whole life. Why not just simply humble yourself and go, hey Lord, I'd, I'd like to have a new boat. Oh, that's so worldly. You shouldn't stand up or say that. You'll work for it. You'll sacrifice your family for it. Lord, I'd like to have a bigger hunting lease. And you say, do you ask for these things? Heck yeah. You know, and, and you know, here's the thing. And if I fish out of a John boat, I'm great with that. If I hunt on 50 acres, I'm great with that. But I'm not going to stand before the Lord and him go, you know what? I had a Colorado elk for you lined out. I wanted to give you that, but you never asked. Amen. You never asked. When you go fishing, do you ask to catch a big fish? When you go shopping, do you ask for that bargain of a lifetime? Why is it we paint a picture of Christians who, you know, well, you're being worldly if you do, if you do anything good. And then we wonder why when everybody else, you know, has, has, you know, the nice things and they experience success and your kids look at you and you're like, well, we would have a nice boat, but that's worldly. Or we would have a, you know, we would do this or we would go there, but that's just being worldly. And we, we like to give all of our money to missions. Come on. Let's just be real this morning. What we really do is, we really wish that we could do that, but we don't want to live for the Lord. We don't think God is good and we don't ask for anything. This is not about a having things, a message. Because here's the thing, when you delight yourself in the Lord, when you abide in Christ, God also changes your heart and your desires change with that. And your desires is no longer the things of the world, but it's the true things that give us life and peace and joy and contentment. If you're a young man here and you ain't asking God for a wife, you might get what you can get. You understand what I'm saying? What you can get might not be as good as what you think. Same thing for you ladies. You better be praying. Praying. And here's where I'm at. If you're going to ask, go on and ask. Lord, I don't want no homely wife. <laughs> no. 
Send me a looker, Lord, you know. <laughs> Say, that, that's terrible. You shouldn't ask that. You do what you do. I'm going to do what I do, all right? Because here's the thing. Here's the thing. What's the desire of your heart? How many of you say, well, I, you know, I just want a, I just want a, a, a homely man, you know, who's, who's weak. He has no spirit about him. You know, he's long, he sits on the couch and he does nothing. He looks pathetic. But Lord, if that's what you have for me, I'll take it because I just want to humble myself. And you will complain for the rest of your wretched life. Why not ask God and go, okay, I, I don't think that Eve was, you know, <laughs> y'all forgive me, I'm chasing around. I don't think Eve was a homely woman. You know why? Because when Adam saw her, he said, whoa, man, woman, you get it? got that point? Man, so, some of y'all get that later. Anyhow, you know, here's where I'm at. And I, I haven't defined homely, so don't go home and get all swallowed up, alright? <laughs> Only is in the eyes of the of the lucre, okay? God help us. i got to get out of here. <laughs> Kids, all I'm saying is God's good, all right? And you need to ask. Ask and God gives you the desires of your heart. When you delight yourself in the Lord, the problem is we, del- we delight ourselves in everything. I'm, I'm, let me flip the page on that. When you delight yourself in the person, when you're like, I don't care what the Lord has for me because she is a looker. I don't care what God has for me because he is the superstar football player. Even though he's an ungodly moron. I, he's, oh, he's just so wonderful and all the other girls want him and he wants to date me. You're in trouble. You're in trouble. But when you delight yourself in the Lord, here's the thing, God's a good, we sing the song, you're a good, good father. He's good. And He wants good for us. In every area of our life, God wants good and He gives good and it's a promise there. He said, if you do delight yourself, He'll give you the desires of your heart. That's what it says. Let's get out of here. Verse 5. This is the last one. This is the best one. It says, commit your way to the Lord. Trust also Him and He shall bring it to pass. When I studied this, I thought, what does that got to do with anything? It's just a repeat. It's not a repeat. Because here's the thing. It's a picture of, in the original language, it's a picture of the fact of you're going to have troubles and trials. Following Jesus doesn't make, you know, everything wonderful, you know, where you're all rich and all healthy and, and you got the beautiful wife or the gorgeous husband or all the money in the bank and all that stuff. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that at all. Because this coming with the battle. It's going, to have, it's going to have its trials. It's going to have its troubles. And here's the thing. Sometimes in life, this is where I think I think people trust the Lord and they start doing good. I think they start walking with the Lord. Sometimes they delight themselves in the Lord. And all of a sudden, they have troubles, trials, difficulties, whether it's in a home, in a marriage, in their health, in life, in their finances. They don't know what direction to go. They're looking at heaven going, what in the world is going on? I want you to recall that because you're going to face that time in your life as a believer where you're looking at heaven going, what in the world is going on? Where do I go from here. God, I've walked with you. I delight in you. I trust in you. And now I am facing one of the most difficult times in my life. The word commit, when I studied that, means a rolling stone. It uses it in the book of Genesis where it talks about rolling the stone back away from Jacob's well so the women could go in. So it basically it says, in the original it says, roll your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him. He shall bring it to pass. I thought, what? You ever heard the saying, this is just the way we roll? Basically, that's what this is saying. 
A rolling stone it means to have continual movement. When you hit something, you just keep rolling. You keep walking. You keep trusting. And you trust in the Lord and you just let it roll. And the awesome thing is that you can't separate this because then He shall bring it to pass. <clears throat> Get this. The word bring it to pass means to make, to work, to produce. He uses it in the book of Genesis when it says, God made. God made the firmament. God made the heavens and the earth. God made the light. God made the night. It means that God takes out of nothing and causes something. Like it says in the book of Romans chapter 4, it says, He takes that which is not and makes it as though it always were. He takes that which is dead and raises it to life. So when you look at this, in your walk with the Lord, and you face difficulties in which you will face, what do you do? You say, I'm just going to keep rolling with it, and I'm going to trust God. You know why? Even though I don't know how He's going to do it, He's going to take what I can't see and bring it to sight. He's going to take that what I didn't see exists, and He's going to call it into being as though it always was, because that's what He does. When you trust in Him, not in yourself, not in your ability, not in your own ways, you trust in the Lord. And the most important place you do that is in your walk. And in your relationship to life, because here you're going to come across the most difficult day that you've ever faced when you face your death. And if you try to work your way through that, it's going to be a miserable, destructive time for you. Here's what's awesome. God said, you just roll with me. You just follow me. You just trust in me. And I'm going to bring it to pass. I'm going to raise the dead to life. I'm going to do that which you could not accomplish. He has already accomplished. And that's what my hope is. And that's what my faith is in. Because I've hit so many walls in my life. Where I thought there is no way over this wall. Or this mountain. And the Lord said, oh yeah I've got a way right here. It's a way you never thought about. It's a way you couldn't think of. It's something that you couldn't produce. And here's the thing. You can't produce eternal life. You can't produce forgiveness. You can't raise the dead. But Jesus did. And He can. And that's the good news. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, the Lord provided a way that you can overcome any and everything. It's not through religion. It's not through baptism. That water up there didn't change one thing with those people this morning. Not one. Other than they changed their clothes. So what in the world you do it for? Because it is a picture. They preached the gospel to this crowd this morning because what they were saying was, I recognize that I was a sinner. And the fact that I died with Christ, I've been buried. My old man or my old, my old lady is dead. And Christ, now think about this. Christ has raised me to life. When they walked down that water, all I said was, you latch a hold. And I got the rest. Think about this. I'm going to finish with this right here. You just hold on. I got you. I did everything. Remember when John was baptizing? He said, I baptize you with water. But there is one who is greater than me, whose shoelaces I'm not worthy to bow down and unlatch. He it is who will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. He That is a picture of a person who surrenders and submits to go, Lord, I'm going to trust in you for my salvation. So you just grab a hold. Faith grabs a hold. 
And Jesus said, He's the one baptized. And the Holy Spirit is like, You're identifying with me. I died for you. You're an old man and your sins are buried. And I raised you to life. They didn't have to swim, kick, fight. I picked them up, set them down, said, Good deal. I didn't have to kick, swim, or fight. Jesus just raised me up. He said, Now you're a new man. You're a new man. Man, if you don't have that this morning, how do I get it? Humble yourself before God. That's what salvation is. Humbling myself before God to go, God, I'm a sinner, and I I believe you're my Savior. You love me. You died on the cross for me, and I want to put my faith and trust in you. And God will save you, give you life, give it to you eternally. You can have peace. You have hope, absolute hope. The fact that Christ rose from the dead means He's going to raise us from the dead if you're a child of God. okay? And get on the right path. Walk with Him. Follow Him. Live by His Word. Trust Him in every area of your life. And if you're here and you're a believer, you're a born-again believer, and you're out there in, in brown pasture, guess what? The Lord's always standing at the gate going, come back over into my pasture. Come back into my ways. Put away that junk out of your life and make a change. Quit bobbling and walking on the fence and looking for what the world can give you because it's going to give you exactly what it's got for you. But man, God redeems and restores and raises us up. Turn your heart to Jesus and follow Him. Quit making excuses of why you're not. And love the Lord. Find your delight in the Lord. Let's stand with your head bowed and your eyes closed. <clears throat>